0: Greetings, Atlanta West, in the name of Jesus Christ. I want to speak to us today and about the importance and encourage us about praying for our pastor and all of our church leaders. I think about the Apostle Paul, the man we say wrote two-thirds of the Bible, the New Testament, and everywhere Paul went, he said, church, pray for me. Pray for me, church. Church, I need your prayer. Will you pray for me? Apostle Paul saw the importance of having the children of God praying for him everywhere he went. So I asked us about, "How about us, Atlanta? How about our pastor and our leaders? They make decisions. It affects you, your children. It affects me and my children. So how about it?" How about us all getting on board and start praying? I got a little thought. We can all pray if we set the bar low enough where everybody can participate. So what if we set the bar low enough and we say everybody's going to start and we're going to start praying five minutes a day? The bar's not too high. Everybody can reach it. Everybody can participate. There's nobody... Left out. Five minutes a day. You say, well, I don't sound like a whole lot of prayer to me. We have several hundred, several hundred that attend Atlanta West every week. What if we set that bar low enough that several hundred can reach down and say, I can reach that bar I can pray five minutes a day for my pastor and for our leaders. How about it, Atlanta West? Hundreds praying five minutes a day. Do you know what that does? It sends up thousands of minutes of prayer every day. It sends up thousands of minutes of prayer Every day, everybody on the same page. It sends up thousands of minutes of prayer every day, everybody in unity. Everybody praying for our pastor and our leaders of the church. How about that? Thousands. So, how about it? How about it? How about it, it, Atlanta West? The bar is only set. At five minutes a day, I can reach it. Our young people can reach it. Our old people can reach it. Nobody's left out. We can all participate in five minutes a day and make a difference. You, your family, your church member, your children, me, and my family, My children, we can all go to heaven from here. I said, we can all go to heaven from here. My name is Brother Wayne Walker, and I want to tell you today that this man here is my pastor, and I love him. I love his wife, I love his children. I love my church. I love my church, and I love the leaders of my church. And I am a church member.
1: If that's a commitment you're willing to make, would you stand and say, Lord God, I count me in to be a praying church member a praying church member when we began pastors prayer partners at least over 10 years ago I don't know I'm not even sure there is a distinct difference in my life in hearing from God and having direction for our church it makes a difference when you pray for leaders that God has put in your life and I can tell you that all of our church leaders, and I know I, need your prayers every day. It makes a world of difference. Well, knowing what my past week was going to be, the district conference and meetings and preaching several times, pre- preaching and teaching, I had uh, asked Brother Joel Johns, our youth pastor, sometime back a week and a half ago, two weeks ago, to pray and see if the Lord would have him a message to preach to us. And we all had a very busy week at district conference, but he prayed and the Lord put a message in his heart. And I believe the Lord is going to speak to you today. I know because I've already heard this message in the first service, so I know what God is going to say today to you. And I ask you to open your heart and receive him. I'm very proud of our youth ministry and of Brother Joel, would you welcome him right now to preach the word of God.
2: great in the house today. Amen. No place I'd rather be than right here, Atlanta West with our church. And it is a privilege and honor to speak to you today. Privilege and honor to work in our student ministry. And I love our students, believe in them and what God's going to do through them in the next generation. Amen. What a great group of students we have. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. If you have your Bible, if you'd like to turn to Esther chapter 4, verse 13, Esther 4 and 13, I'll be reading from here today, and I thank God for what he did in the first service, and praying that he would be with us, and anoint his word, and be with us in the second service. Esther four thirteen. it reads this, and Mordecai told them to answer Esther, do not think in your heart that you will escape in the king's palace any more than all the other Jews, For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise from the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this, amen? I want to speak to you today on this subject, the right place at the right time. And I want you to say that with me today, the right place at the right time, man, you may be seated. About two weeks ago, I was talking with Brother Johns and two students that I had just finished teaching a Bible study with. We were in his office and there, if you've ever been pastor's office, hopefully some of you are thankful you haven't been in pastor's office, if you've been there. He has pictures of our family and my grandparents. And there's a picture there of my great-grandfather. And we were telling stories and talking about Daddy Doc. He was born July 28, 1905, and passed away December 16, 2005, at 100 years old. Consider this. When he was born, Theodore Roosevelt was president... And the Wright brothers were still doing test runs on one of their first airplanes. Uh, These students we were talking about, they're blown away that he had lived through some of the most pivotal points in the 20th century. The designing of Henry Ford's Model T, the sinking of the Titanic, World War I prohibition, women gaining the right to vote, the Great Depression, World War II, Pearl Harbor, the Civil Rights Movement, and the first man on the moon. It was amazing to think that he had lived through that place and time in history. And hear me today, in each and every one of our lives, we will experience some very pivotal points in our lifetime, and in our history. But there is none greater than that that God ordains. I want you to understand today that God has placed you at the right place, at the right time, to accomplish His purpose. If you believe that, say amen. Amen. When I think of the state of ungodliness in our world and in our culture Right now, I believe that the church has been placed at a strategic place in time to make a great impact on this world. And I believe that God has positioned you to advance His kingdom. Yes, you. God has positioned you to make an eternal impact on the hearts and the lives of so many that surround us. God shows us through his word how he has always been instrumental in having his people at the right place and at the right time. Before the day of Pentecost, the first outpouring of the Holy Ghost, Jesus told his followers this in Luke 24, 49. Behold, I send you the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem there where you'll be endued with power from on high. He had about 120 people strategically positioned at the right place and at the right time. And when they gathered there together, this happened, Acts 2, 1 through 4. The day of Pentecost was fully come. They were all in one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. Verse 4, And they were filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Because they were positioned where and when God wanted them to be, they were the first people to experience the outpouring of God's Spirit. And just like Jesus positioned his people in the book of Acts, I believe that he has positioned you and I at the right place and at the right time. Proverbs 16, 9 says, A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Psalms 37, 23, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. I pray that this reality would get deep into our hearts today, that you have been positioned by God for such a time as this. It's absolutely critical that you believe that God's timing is perfect and that He makes no mistakes. Listen to how God manages the universe with flawless precision. Christian astronomer Dr. Hugh Ross reminds us that the earth is placed at just the right distance from the sun and the other planets in our solar system. If we were just a little bit closer to the sun, we would burn up. If we were just positioned a little bit farther away, we would freeze. The earth also, it rotates at the perfect timing and the perfect speed to warm the planet evenly. Think about how God made the moon and he made it just the right size and placed it in the perfect location and distance from us. And it allows the gravity to impact the movement of ocean's currents at just the optimum levels. The fact that we live on a just right planet in a just right universe is evidence that it was all created by a loving God. Amen? And there's so much about the world and the universe that we take for granted because it is flawlessly designed and perfectly synchronized, it should be easy to conclude that God knows what He's doing. Amen? Without a shadow of doubt, He is in control. Amen? He excels at orchestrating things at the right place and at the right time. And when it comes to His people, when it comes to you, You can be sure that God cares more about you than he cares about the sun. He cares more about you than he cares about the position of the moon or the position of the stars. God has a right place, amen, and a right time for his people. In the Old Testament, God wanted Moses to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. And he wanted David to fight Goliath and be king of Israel. He wanted Mary to be the mother of Jesus. He wanted Peter to preach the gospel in Acts 2. He wanted Paul to minister to the Gentiles, to testify before kings, and to write some 13 books in the New Testament. But here... Today, at the very pivotal place and time in history, when God wants to pour out His Spirit upon all flesh, He did not place Moses here. He did not choose David, Mary, Peter, or Paul. He chose you, amen, and me for such a time as this. He could have chosen any man or woman and child in the Bible, but He chose you. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus, so we can do the things that He planned for us long ago. Church, God has orchestrated and ordained it so that you would be at the right place at the right time. But being where God wants us to be is meaningless If we do not listen to His voice and obey His commands. I pray today that your hearts would be open, that you would surrender your will to God so that His will can be done. Amen? One of the most captivating stories in the Bible that illustrates somebody being in the right place at the right time is the story of Esther. Esther, I'm sure many of you have read, is a fascinating story. It's a drama. It's filled with danger and intrigue and suspense. And the story, it begins with King Ahasuerus. That's his Hebrew name, but he's also known as Xerxes. That's much easier to say, so I'm going to stick with Xerxes throughout this sermon. But King Xerxes, he was a very complex individual. He was an animated man. He was full of emotional extremes. But despite his difficult personality, he was a very powerful king. With a vast domain of over 127 provinces from India all the way to Ethiopia. And we're introduced to Xerxes at a banquet. It's an extravagant feast held at his winter palace in Susa. Sounds nice, right? We wish we had a winter palace or a winter home somewhere. But this vain and this lavish display of his wealth and his royal glory, it lasted for 187 days. There at the banquet, it was a phenomenal time of showing off who he was and his glory and his power. And he attempted... What no man should do to put his queen Vashi on display and to parade her around as a trophy, as a token for all to see her beauty. Well, when she refused, as we expect, he was humiliated. And the Bible says he burned with anger. And he consulted his advisors and was counseled to dispose of her and find another queen. So the search began. The king sent out agents to each province to bring select women into the royal harem. And here we're introduced to Esther. She was a Jewish orphan, whose Hebrew name Hadassah, and she, the Bible tells us, was a very beautiful woman. She was adopted and raised by her cousin Mordecai. And after she was discovered, she was selected to appear before the king. With much wisdom, as we'll later find, Mordecai tells her not to reveal yet that she is Jewish. Before she went to meet King Xerxes, a significant time was spent to prepare her and the other women. And we all know it takes women significant time to get ready and all the men can say, Amen. Brave men. The week of Valentine's. But this wasn't a day or two to freshen up. It was a year of pampering, a year of beauty treatments. For six months, they were treated with oil and myrrh, followed by six months with special perfumes and ointments. And husbands, that great Valentine's gift you thought you had lined up for your wife, that one hour at the spa, man, imagine that entire year. Well, when Esther, she finally appeared before the king, Xerxes, she immediately, the Bible tells us, found favor in his eyes and she won this royal beauty pageant. The king genuinely loved Esther and more than any other woman would do anything for her, he said. So he was so delighted that he set that royal crown upon her head and declared her to be queen. But who would have thought From the beginning of the story that a Jewish, a captive, an orphan was born to be a Persian queen. I want to pause. I want to encourage somebody here today that no matter who you are, no matter where you come from, God can still use you. Do you believe that? Don't let your past. Don't let your current circumstances dictate your future because God has you at the right place and the right time. Amen? He's the one who gives and He's the one who takes away. There's nothing too hard for Him. So if that's you today, you keep trusting God. You keep faithfully serving Him and there's no telling what He will do for you. That's what God will do when you are at the right place. And the right time. Meanwhile, Mordecai, he was faithfully serving as a doorkeeper to the court... ...and in his position at the king's gate, he secretly learned of a plot to assassinate King Xerxes. With the help of Esther and her new position, he's able to warn the king of these two assassins... ...who guarded his private quarters, and his good deed was recorded in the palace records. God had Mordecai in the right place... ...at the right time. But during this event, there's an evil man named Haman. And he emerges, and somehow he finds favor in the eyes of King Xerxes. He was not a man of honor or justice or any true courage. But he became the captain of the princes. And as a sign of honor and praise, wherever he would go... ...the people would bow down before him and honor him and worship him as he rode past through the town. But when he passed by Mordecai, he wasn't the average citizen. He refused to bow and to give worship to anyone but God. He understood the biblical commandment that we embrace that thou shalt have no, amen, no other gods before me. That where to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. As a result of Mordecai's decision, Haman was angry. He was very angry. And when he learned that Mordecai was a Jewish man, he plotted for a year to eliminate all the Jews. Through bribery and lies, Haman he manipulated the king to issue a royal decree that the thousands of Jews in the empire would all be killed on just a single day. God's people were in distress. And poor Mordecai, he knew that Haman was attacking him primarily, but it was his fault that the rest of the Jews were going to be attacked. And I want us to understand that when you start following the will of God for your life, you better believe that the enemy is going to try to stop you and do whatever he can to keep you from following God's plan. The enemy knows how powerful someone is when they partner together with God's power and they fulfill His plan. Amen? The enemy's going to try to discourage you. He's going to try to dishearten you. But I challenge you to keep your head up. I challenge you to keep focused on God's will for your life because He is in control. Amen? So this new decree, it created a state of confusion. And chaos. he asked Esther... To talk to the king. Only Esther had the personal influence to put a stop to this plan. But Esther told Mordecai that she did not have the power to stop the killings. Her excuse at first was that the law stated that no one could enter into the king's chambers uninvited. And if he refused her, she could be put to death. But I want you to put uh, yourself into her shoes for a moment. No one knows I'm a Jew. If I don't say anything, I'm still the queen. I can keep all of this wealth. I can keep all this fame intact. People will still continue to serve me. I'll still get the beauty treatments and live in the harem at the royal palace. But if I go before the king in defense of my people, I could lose it. This was the testing of Esther's character and her courage. Following God's plan for your life is exciting, and it feels good when things are going right, amen? But how do you react when the road gets tough, amen? And things don't go exactly according to your plan. What will you do when God's plan for here and now inconveniences your plans or threatens your lifestyle? Will you still listen to his voice? Will you still follow him as he directs your life? In the midst of Esther's consideration, Mordecai sent her this message, our opening text in Esther 4.14. For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Fully knowing the implications of her decision, she decided, I'm willing to sacrifice everything because my people are in distress. She said, if I perish, I perish. She realized That God had placed her in the right place at the right time. That he did not make a mistake. If following his plan required sacrifice. If it required her giving her all, she was ready to do that. So as God positions you at the right place in the right time... But that doesn't mean anything. When he does that, it doesn't mean anything unless you are willing to do whatever it takes to accomplish his plan and his will for your life. You've got to be the type of person who daily prays, God, not my will, but thine be done. Amen. we got to understand this. it's not about your wants in this life. It's not about your desires. It's not about your plans. It's not about your comfort. It's not even about that which inconveniences you. Amen. It's about following God wherever he leads you. She told Mordecai, To have her people begin fasting on her behalf for good reason. And Esther knew that if she was going to go through with this, that she couldn't do it on her own. Amen. How many of you have found that out? That we just can't do it on our own. When it comes to fulfilling God's plans for our life, we can't do it on our own. God is our refuge, and our strength. He's a very present help in the time of trouble. And through the power of the Holy Ghost, He will empower you for such a time as this. So the risk of her life, Esther made the decision to go before the king. That day she put on her royal robes and she made her way into the inner court of the palace. I'm sure that with every step that she took, the pounding of her chest grew greater and greater as she approached the door to the inner court where he was at. As the king came, as she came into his presence, she saw them there, the Bible says, sitting up upon his royal throne. And as soon as she saw him, I'm sure that time seemingly stood still for that moment. And her eyes were not looking anywhere else, but her eyes were affixed to the king's golden scepter. Would it be raised up in her favor, or would she be sent to her death for the decision that she had made? But with great relief, the king lifted the scepter and welcomed her into his presence. Not only was he receptive, but he asked her what her request was and said that he would give her anything she wanted, up to half of his kingdom. She then takes the opportunity to wisely invite him to a banquet along with a special guest named Haman. He agrees and at the banquet he's trying to see what she wants but she refuses and she invites to him to another banquet, setting it up for the right place in the right time. But at that banquet, Haman, he's absolutely flattered at the invitation. He always thinks of himself very highly. And now he was invited to a personal dinner with the king and the queen. But as he's leaving, he's enraged again when he sees Mordecai. It just ruined his day. It stubbed his toe as he walked out the palace gate. He was so mad that he took his wife's suggestion to build a large gallow to kill Mordecai. But that night, it just so happens that the king couldn't sleep. For some reason, decided to read the palace records. And there he's reminded of a man named Mordecai and the deed that he did for saving his life from assassination plans. So he asks Haman, of all people, to honor Mordecai. And Haman is humiliated. He's humbled, infuriated, being forced to honor the man that he despises with every fiber of his body. And later, at the second banquet, when the time was finally right, Esther made her plea for her people. And there at that moment accused Haman of his treachery. She said, This wicked Haman is our adversary and our enemy. And the king was so angry that he had Haman hanged on the very gallows that he intended, Haman intended for Mordecai. The gallows, 75 feet high, was designed to make Mordecai's downfall a citywide spectacle. But remember what the Bible says to his people, Isaiah 54, 17, that no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Amen. When you're at the right place and you're at the right time, God will come through for you. Now the gallows. It was a testimony that if you will obey God, when he places you at the right place and the right time, he will come through for you. Although Haman was out of the picture, his decree, it did still pose a problem to his people, God's people. According to the constitution of Persian government, it cannot be revoked. So they came up with another plan and had the king issue another decree in effort to counter the first. This second order, it allowed the Jews in every city of the Persian empire to defend themselves from any attack. Had the people previously been attacked separately, they would have been weak and easy prey. But now, working collectively together, they were strengthened, and one another, they joined together to face their enemies. On the appointed day, the Jews defended themselves and defeated those who sought to kill them. What Haman, determined to be for evil in a time of defeat, God determined to be for a time of victory. Amen. You can accomplish a lot on your own with the help of God, but there is strength when we become a unified church. Amen. A body of Christ. The word of God says that one can put a 1,000 to flight, but two can put 10,000 to flight. And if we this year will follow the lead of our pastor and truly mobilize, I believe that God will blow our minds with what he's about to do in this church and in this city. Amen. In our families, if we will join together and trust God. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. If we will stand upon the promises of his word, the gates of hell shall not prevail against us. The clear message of Esther is that God uses ordinary men and women to overcome impossible circumstances, to accomplish his will and his plan. He put the right people at the right place at the right time. And if he did it then, I promise you, he will do it again. Amen? I pray that not only you would be convinced today that this is the right place and that this is the right time for what God wants to do in your life, but I pray that you would truly believe and accept that you are the right person. You're the person that God has chosen, that God has called. First Peter 2.9 says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. A holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who are called out of the darkness and into the marvelous light. I pray today that the power of the Holy Ghost would show you how to apply his word to your life. I challenge you to ask yourself the question, how can I make the most of what God has given me? Maybe it's making that extra commitment to find a place to serve in the church, amen? Because we're commanded to not neglect the gifts that God has given you and me. Maybe it's starting to take advantage of the many opportunities around us every day to take to to reach those who need God. We're supposed to go into all the world, amen, and preach the gospel. Maybe it's reconsidering how you and your family can be a good steward of what God has given you and wisely invest your time and your talent. And your treasure into the kingdom of God. He said in his word, don't lay up treasures on earth. But lay up your treasures in heaven. Amen. And I believe that if you will truly open your heart today, that God will speak to you and give you direction. Like the day of Esther, there is a great need in our world right now. The fields are white, ready for harvest. And while the harvest is truly great, the laborers are few. So Atlanta West, it's time for us to mobilize. It's time for us to fulfill God's purpose for His church. Amen. To seek and save the lost, to reach out, to reach this city, and to reach our world. This is the right place. This is the right time. And you are the right person. Luke 19 tells the story of a man named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. He was crooked, and his life was not right. I believe that he was not content with who he was and he really felt the tug of Jesus on his heart. He was curious about who this man Jesus was. So when he heard that he was going to be coming by, he climbed up to the top of a sycamore tree. He wanted to be on the fringe to just check things out without being detected. But little did he know that he was really at the right place At the right time, Jesus went to Zacchaeus and he asked if he would come down and if he could go into this man's house. And because Zacchaeus responded to the request of Jesus, his life was changed and salvation came to his house. I'm sure that there are many different reasons that you find yourself at this church today. Some came because you're a church member. Some came because a friend invited you. Some came because perhaps you're curious about Pentecost. Some because going to church is just the right thing to do. But some of you, like Zacchaeus, you're on the periphery. I felt to insert this today. You're keeping God at the distance. But I want you to know that it is no mistake, no accident that you are here today. You are at the right place. You are at the right time. Revelation 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens up the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. God is here today and he's beckoning you. He's calling you to open up your heart, to open the door to your life. He's not going to force his way in. He's done everything else though. He died on a cross. He's provided salvation. And he's calling out to you today. You just need to respond to him. Today is the day of salvation. If you've never been baptized in the precious name of Jesus Christ, it can happen before you leave today. If you've never been filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, it can happen before you leave today. If you will just respond to God, if you will come down from that place, he will bless you, he will touch you, and he will bring great joy to your house, to your life today. Hunter Zare, Zach Sawin, two young men and four other friends, they were home from a college winter break. Orlando Senl um, records this, and on the night of December 15th, they were riding around Lake Mary, and they were looking for another friend's house when the GPS led them astray. I'm sure at this point, they're a bit frustrated, getting lost. I know how frustrating that is. I mentioned this morning I'm a bit directionally challenged, and I know those frustrations, and they're there. And they stopped in the parking lot of Reflection Lake, located about a mile west of Lake Mary High School. They were frustrated and thought that surely they were at the wrong place at the wrong time. But suddenly, Zach looked in the distance and he noticed, of all things in the lake, a car. With his headlights reflecting off the water. There was no time to think, said Hunter. I was the first into the water. When I got to the car, the driver was still sitting there with his hands on the steering wheel in shock of what was taking place. I got him to roll down the passenger window a little and then I was able to reach in and crank it all the way down. By that time, his friend Zach had reached the car. Hunter then climbed through the window because the water pressure wouldn't allow them to open the door. And he unhooked the seatbelt. Zach then reached into the car and grabbed the driver by the shoulder. And they pulled him out of the car into the water. This man in the car was named Miguel Hernandez, a 23-year-old man. And Zach and Hunter with Miguel, they begin to swim back to shore. And within less than a minute, bystanders say, their friends in the car, that in less than a minute, that car began to sink below the dark waters. If the GPS had not misguided, if they didn't stop at the lake, if it had been there a few minutes later, things could have been so much different. But they were at the right place at the right time. They stepped into action and Miguel Hernandez's life was saved. Because of the great and the urgent needs that surround every one of us, I pray that you would answer the call today at such a time as this. I pray that in this house that you would surrender your life to God today. This is the right place. This is the right time. And you are the right person. Amen. Let's bow our heads and pray. Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ, I pray right now. You surround us today, Lord, that the power of the Holy Ghost would move and work in the service. Lord, I believe, God, that there are men and women here today that are talented, they're gifted, and you have called them, God, for such a time as this. God, you're just waiting for them to be the right person. It's the right time. It's the right place. And I pray that they would help them to realize their full potential that they have in you. God, not looking inward, God, at our own faults, at our own failures, at our own lack of ability, but looking to you, knowing today that if we will partner with your power, that you will use us, oh God, that you will minister in a great way. God, that you have raised us up for such a time as this. And I pray that our hearts would be hungry to answer the call, that we would be ready to receive what you would have today. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. amen. It's no accident that you're at Atlanta West today. It's no accident that you're here during this great season of revival at our church. Like Mordecai did with Esther, I believe that the Lord... Put this in my heart. Send me here to ask you today, yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. You are strategically positioned in the right place at the right time. And I challenge you today to give permission to God to take control, full control of your life. Amen. Let's all stand today. This time I want to invite us to make a move to the altar, to respond to the word of God. God wants to do something special in this life. I pray right now as we begin to make our way to this altar, our church family's coming. If you're a guest here today I invite you to join us for a time of prayer that you would open up your hearts this is the right place this is the right time and God's here and he's ready to do a great work in every one of our lives for the next few minutes I pray that we would search our hearts that we would make the commitment to realize that we are positioned strategically for great revival for great things to take place in this city but it's up to you and it's up to me to step up to the challenge, to freely give of myself to what God wants to do. Amen, right now let's begin to lift up our voices to pray to one another, to ask God to help us, to be with us, to answer the call God, we're here today God, it's such a time for this That's right, let's begin to lift up our voices. Let's create an environment where those that are here would feel comfortable, would feel liberty and freedom to respond to God. Lord, that you would help us as we lift up our hearts today. Lord, you are great and you are mighty, and there is nothing too hard for you. I pray that you would help us to know, God, that this is the place, this is the time. God, you have great things in store for us. Things that we never thought possible. God, things, oh Lord, that we never thought could take place. God, but you, I pray, would give us a dream today. Like Joseph, of great things to come in our future. I pray you would help us to faithfully commit, oh God, to giving of ourselves to you today. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen, that's it. Let's keep reaching. Let's keep praying to God. If there's those around you who are sensitive to need, let's pray for one another. Let's let God do a great work in our hearts today as only He can do. In the name of Jesus, let's worship.